All right, let's get into the message. Um, I'm not speaking today. I'm very excited to uh, introduce to you our speakers. But if you've been here um, the past several months, back in September, we did a series here at the church called Chasing After the Win. And it was a vision series, right? We're talking about what are the real wins here at South Bay Community Church. And we define the real wins is whenever we help someone find and follow Jesus Christ, when we help people find and follow Jesus Christ. So when an unbeliever finds Christ for the first time, that's a win. When believers continue following him, they grow in their faith, they mature in the faith, that's a win too. And we boiled it down to how do we help people find and follow Jesus? We talked about two ways in particular, and that's when we um, can reproduce and multiply whatever God has given us. When we reproduce or multiply whatever God has given us. And so that pertains to every believer in the body of Christ. If you're a believer, how do you share your faith so you can reproduce another believer? If you're a leader, how can you mentor someone, pour into them, and reproduce another leader? As a church, we should be thinking about that. How do we develop teams and encourage more servants so that we can reproduce the church and plant new churches, right? So, so we should all be thinking about that. And as pastors, we're not exempt. We need to be thinking about how do we raise up future pastors and future preachers. And so one thing that I've been so excited about as we reflect back on this past year is we started an official, um, an official internship program. And we brought on some interns for that very purpose. And I want to introduce to, you, uh, to them, uh, I want to introduce to you, them this morning. Uh, <laughs> wow, that was tough. Uh, <laughs> one thing that's been really cool is not only do they get to join us for our staff meetings, but uh, they sit on our Tuesday pre-study meeting. So the teaching team and some of the staff members, we get together to study the word of God um, in preparation for the weekend service. We look at the scriptures. And then on Friday, the speaking pastor will preach it to the teaching team and to the staff. And the interns have been a part of that process to help give feedback and critique, to think about how do we better uh, put together this message and present it to the church in the way they, they can hear it. And so they've been a part of that process. And that's part of us wanting to train them and raise them up. But today is a very special moment um, in, in, in our church history, and that's because they're going to come and preach the word to you this morning, and I'm very excited for that. So w would you give, help give me a very warm, encouraging South Bay welcome to our two interns, Kyle Ogata and Corey Hamada, as they come out and take the stage. I'm going to ask our pastors to come out as well. At last night's service, we had um, most of our pastors up here, but a lot of our pastors are serving at the well right now or um, in different places. So we have Pastor Rob and we have Todd um, up here to show our support and stand behind them. Um, but I, I want to introduce you to these two men. This is, again, Kyle Ogata and Corey Hamada. And what's, what's beautiful about what God has been doing in their lives is both of these men have grown up in the church. They grew up as students, kids in our kids' crew ministry. Then they grew up as students in our youth ministry and our, you know, our junior high and high school ministries. And then not only did God grab a hold of their hearts and save them um, by his grace, now they are filled with the spirit gifted by him, and now serving. And they've been doing this for years, serving in the youth ministry, serving in the college ministry, and now as interns. And today they will serve you by uh, de delivering the word to you. And so I want to encourage you, church, you have a part to play in helping raise up future pastors and leaders. And two ways you can do that. Um, number one, today as they preach, I want to encourage you, listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying. 
Listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying. The same Holy Spirit that the pastors pray for to anoint our message and, and, and to fill us with power when we preach it is the same Holy Spirit that we ask for to be upon them as they preach that word. And so we want to listen to what the Holy Spirit is saying this morning. Secondly, church, pray for them, okay? Pray for them um, as they're preaching this morning. Pray for them, that God would be with them, that he would speak to them speak through them, that he would comfort them and give them power. Um, but also just off the stage, beyond this weekend, when you see them, speak into them, encourage them. With every opportunity God gives you, encourage them, support them, pray for them, and um, show them your support, all right? So let's do that this morning. Church, let's stand up wherever you are. Even if you're at home, let's stand up. And let's, let, let's um, one thing we do is we extend our hands here at the church to show our support. Let's, let's lift these men up before the Lord this morning. God, we are so thankful for the fact that by your grace we are saved. And we thank you so much that what Christ has done 2,000 years ago on the cross to shed his blood and forgive us of our sins, to give us eternity, Lord, that that's, that's been applied to Kyle and to Corey. And Lord, that by faith they've come and they've given their lives to you. They've died to themselves. They've picked up their crosses. And they've decided to follow you. Thank you, God. And we pray that this morning as they now uh, respond to the gospel by serving you with the gifts you, that you've given them and the Holy Spirit you've put in them, Lord, we pray that it would be evident to all of us listening, even at home or if we're watching the video right now, we, we pray that, Lord, we would sense that the Holy Spirit of God truly is with them. And God, as they preach the word and handle the word this morning, I pray that they would do so with fear and trembling that they would realize the weight of your word and your truth, the glory of your name. And I pray that there would be this sense um, in them that, Lord, they are really nothing without you. But, Lord, I pray that they would rejoice because they are with you and you are with them. And I pray that you would give them humble confidence this morning, humble realizing that it's not about them, confident because they realize it's all about you and you're with them, Lord. So would you please Please deliver your word. We're excited to receive. Lord, I'm thankful for this moment. And Lord, we just, we just lift them up to you. And it's together with God's people, with your church, with your family. We all say in one voice, amen, amen. Thank, thank you, guys. We'll hand it over to Kyle. Pastor Greg, <clears throat> morning, everyone. Like Pastor Greg mentioned, uh, my name is Kyle Legata. I'm one of our pastoral interns here at SPCC. Now, thank you. Um, I just want to say, yeah, truly, no, yeah, thank you for worshiping here with us this weekend, um, for all of you in the sanctuary, uh, all of you out in the lobby, in, in the Faith Center, uh, those of you at the well and online as well, thank you for worshiping with us this weekend. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, I currently serve as the leader of our college ministry, uh, but I've served for several years in the youth ministry, and uh, it's those experiences that have really shaped me and led me to where I am today, and so it truly is an honor, it's a privilege to bring God's word to you uh, this weekend. Pastor Reed alluded to this, but I grew up going to this church essentially my, my entire life, and so this truly is my church home. And if any of you are sitting here wondering if I was that troublemaker kid in kids' crew, right, that was causing chaos all over the place, uh, that wasn't me, okay? <laughs> I have a younger brother who looks very similar to me, so let's separate those two people in, in our minds. That was him, okay? So sorry, Grant. But uh, yeah, as I was growing up, 
I, I learned a lot of important life lessons, and one of those lessons was how to interpret traffic lights. And so I have a picture up here uh, for all of us, and uh, I think it's fairly uh, straightforward. Um, red, what does red mean? Stop. Exactly, red means stop. Green, green means? Go. Go, exactly. And lastly, yellow is? Slow down, slow down, right? Well, I did hear an alternative answer, and, you know, I would sometimes agree with that, that, you know, I am in middle school, my woodshop teacher told me, you know what yellow lights mean? They mean speed up, right? They mean go faster because you want to get through the intersection before the light turns red. And uh, I don't know about you, but I sometimes treat yellow lights like that. Who else is, who else is like me? Yeah? Got it. I feel you. Um, but anyways, guys, the reason why I share that is because when we think about this time of year, right, we think about uh, the winter holidays, the Christmas festivities, we think of red and we think of green. But for the sake of illustration, I want to challenge us to think of this time of year as a yellow light. Why? Because if you think about it, Christmas should be a time where we get to slow down and reflect upon the coming of our King Jesus, who came from heaven to earth to dwell among man. We have the end of the year where we get to slow down and reflect upon all that's happened. Yet how often, when we get to this point in the year, instead of slowing down, we find ourselves speeding up. I don't know about you, but personally, I find that this time of year is just, I'm just buried in the busyness of holiday plans, whether it be trying to engage in holiday parties at work or trying to coordinate family get-togethers and scheduling meetups with friends and trying to squeeze in some end-of-year travel. What we call winter break can hardly feel like a break at all because we're just so busy. And maybe you, church, come this weekend preoccupied by the busyness of your upcoming schedule. Maybe you are rehearsing right now the New Year's plans that you have in the next couple days. Or you're looking ahead to uh, the work week to come, or if you're going back to school, starting up coursework again. And if that's you, I want to encourage uh, you to join me in pausing at this moment and just taking a deep breath. Ready? All right. We're good. We're still here. And the reason I had us do that is because my concern is that in the wake of the hustle and bustle of what's going on at this time of year, that we would just rush into 2024 without taking time to slow down and reflect upon 2023. So church, let's take this time to pause and, and not miss God in our busyness. The title of this message is See and Seek His Goodness. And my goal for this weekend is to help us understand how we can look back and see God's goodness in the highs and lows of 2023. And then Corey's going to come up after me and share what it looks like to seek after God's goodness in 2024. So let's start with this year. What does it look like to reflect well? Well, in order to do that, the first thing we need to do is to just be still. Just be still. Yeah, as I've started interning here, I've continued to work my day job. So uh, I work as a system a systems analyst throughout the week. And so essentially that means I'm working seven days a week. And I don't say that to say woe is me, uh, but I say that because I understand that uh, all of us are busy and we all, there's always something for all of us to do. And what that means for me is sometimes it's harder for me to find downtime. And something that the Lord has really been impressing upon my heart recently is the scripture Psalm 46.10. And I have it up on the screen here for you. It says, be still and know that I am God. 
I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. This verse is a direct command from God to, to, to just be still, to pause. More than a yellow light of slowing down, he gives us a red light to stop completely dead in our tracks. And some of us, including myself, uh, may not like this. It may feel uncomfortable or unnatural. I don't know about anyone who likes stopping at red lights at every intersection. You know, red lights feel like a disruption, an inconvenience, a waste of time, energy, opportunity. It just doesn't feel very efficient. But church, I think that's exactly the point. You see, we live in a modern society that idolizes efficiency. If you think about it, hybrid cars are all over the place because they have the best fuel efficiency. Technological advancements of artificial intelligence were created to do things so that humans wouldn't have to. The words optimization and streamline are all over corporate America because we're trying to do things as fast as possible with the best quality as possible for the lowest cost possible. And let me clarify, efficiency is not bad. It's a very good thing. But something that the Lord has been impressing upon me and challenging me with is that in the kingdom of God, there is something else to be valued above efficiency. Recently, God has been challenging me to value intimacy over efficiency. Intimacy over efficiency. And the reason is because in my pursuit of efficiency, oftentimes that comes at the expense of intimacy with God and with others. What does that look like for me? That looks like me trying to do household chores while talking to someone on the phone, which leads me to only half listen to their conversation. That looks like me trying to do my quiet times just to get through them and on with the rest of my day instead of letting my quiet times get through to me. That looks like in my ministry, cleaning up the church and shutting down after college group instead of fellowshipping with our students because I don't want to stay out too late. You see, in my pursuit of efficiency, I became so much more focused on doing than simply being in relationship. In church, God is so much more concerned with the posture of our hearts than he is with the work of our hands. And my concern is, again, that in our busyness, we would fail to be present with a God who desires an intimate relationship with us. Being, efficient is, being still is not efficient, but it creates space for intimacy with God. It says, God, I love you more than this thing that I want to do. And it also says, God, I trust you with all the things that I need to do when we prioritize him. So church, let this service be a red light for us that allows us to pump the brakes, to be still, and to remember that he is God and God is here. And it's only when we stop that we can then look back and reflect upon what God has been doing this year. And so how then should we look back? What should we be looking for? Well, I'm gonna take us to the book of Deuteronomy, specifically chapter eight, to help us with that. Just some context, Deuteronomy contains three speeches that Moses gave the Israelites right as they were about to enter into the promised land after wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. And just as we're about to enter into a new season of 2024, this is Moses' red light to the Israelites just as they were about to enter into a new season, life in the promised land. Now, just a disclaimer, I cannot guarantee you that this next year will be the promised land for you. I can't guarantee you prosperity. Rather, I believe that this 
text gives us insight into two things. One, how to reflect upon difficult seasons, and two, what to remember in prosperous seasons. Because the thing is, I'm sure we have a mix of both this past year. Maybe you experienced great joys, and, and, and you met milestones, and you experienced breakthroughs and blessings. And there are probably also times where you went through difficult trials and suffering and experienced real hurt and real pain. And maybe this year, you're, uh, when, I, when, I th- when I told you to think about this past year, you, you had a feeling that it was maybe one or the other. You're, you're leaning a certain direction. Um, well, my hope for us today is that we would be able to learn to see God's goodness in both sides of our years. So let's start with difficult seasons. How do we see God in difficult seasons? Well, as we see in Deuteronomy, we will, we will see God's goodness in difficulty by remembering his provision and humbling. Seeing God's goodness in difficulty is remembering his provisions and humbling. And we'll see this in Deuteronomy. I'll, I'll share a couple of excerpts from, our, from the passage. In verses 2 through 5, Moses says, And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he, may, might, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothing did not wear out on you, and your foot did not swell these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as man disciplines his son, the Lord, discipline, the Lord your God disciplines you. So you see, church, when Moses was saying this to the Israelites, I'm sure that they had a very negative perception of the wilderness. They were probably uh, shuddering at the thought of all the things that they experienced then. This is what I, I believe uh, their perspective was. Let's, let's take this paper as the wilderness. I'm sure as Moses was having them recount that journey, they were probably looking at all that was missing, right? They were saying, gosh, we were so hungry. We were so tired, right? We were always on the move. We never had a place to settle. And they were always focused on what was missing in their 40 years. But what Moses made a point to do is he made sure to shine light on how God was still providing for them in the wilderness. Let me take you back to that passage. Right? In verse 2, it says that the Lord your God has led you. That means that he didn't leave them. He was there with them the entire time. In verse 3, it says, yes, you did hunger, but the Lord fed you with manna, literally bringing bread from the sky so that they would eat. In verse 4, it says that their clothing did not wear out. Their feet did not swell. So yes, it was a tire and treacherous journey. But think about wandering for 40 years and your feet never, swole, never swelled up. Your clothes never got messed up. That's incredible. Our God was still providing for Israel, even when they were looking at all that was missing. And what we see here is that in reality, they still had all of this. They still had all that God was providing. And without God, right, without his provision, what would they have? Nothing. They would have nothing. Moses was making sure that the Israelites 
knew that their season of lacking was not to be confused with the absence of God. And the same is true for us. Instead, he helps us realize that it is only because of God that we are able to endure those seasons and persevere through those seasons at all. So God will not leave us there. He will provide for us, and it is him that we can trust. And one way that he can provide for us, as I mentioned earlier, is that he can actually humble us and test us for our good. And, and we'll see that as we go down in verse, in verse 16 of the text. We see here, It is God who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you. Why? To do you good in the end. To do you good in the end. Now, how can humbling and testing be good for us? Because I'm sure none of us like to be humble. None of us like to be put through a test. Well, you see, God will put us through wilderness-like trials that will humble us and test us with the ultimate goal of redirecting us back to him. In this case, the Lord was humbling Israel and teaching them, as verse 3 says, that man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. But he was teaching them that they were to to trust him and depend on him for all things at all times and to to obey his commandments because he knew anything less than that would actually lead to their destruction, regardless of what they thought. But to get that message across, he had to cause them to wander and cause them to hunger because it's often in seasons of hardship that we truly realize our need. And maybe this year God put you through something that shook you up. Maybe it was fits of depression. Maybe it was financial hardship. Maybe it was relational strife or health complications, or maybe it was even losing a loved one. And maybe you still feel like you're in the wilderness right now. I understand that the changing of a year does not change your circumstances. And if that's you, I I want to let you know that that pain is real. And we don't want to minimize that. Instead, I want to affirm you and applaud you for being here this morning because you are choosing to draw near to God in your hardship rather than turning away from him. And that is what he desires in these seasons. I assure you that your wilderness is still purposeful in the sovereign will of God. And even if you can't see the good in it yet, please trust that God does not put put anyone through pain in vain. He does not waste it. And we, not might, we not might find out why we went through it today. We, not may, we may not find out next year. We may not find out for the rest of our life. But I hope that we would hold on to Romans 8.28, where, where, where God says, uh, he works all things together for what? For good. For the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. So I hope we can see that God is good to us in difficult times. Because when everything else falls away, he still provides. And, and just when all things fall away, that's the way that he can allow us to see him and him alone as the one that we are supposed to come back to. We can see God's goodness in difficulty. But on the flip side, what if 2023 was your year? Right? What if 2023 brought blessings, brought prosperity, brought you abundance? How should we process that? Well, we also see some wisdom in this text uh, and we'll see that in when we see God's goodness and prosperity through just remembering that he is the good giver. 
we can remember that he is a good giver. That's how we see God's goodness and prosperity. Because as the Israelites were about to enter the promised land, they were about to enter into a season of abundance. And so Moses gave many warnings to them. And I'll read some of them for you in verse 11 through 14. He says, Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest, when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flock uh, uh, multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Very simply, God is telling the Israelites to not forget him when things are going good. Because the reality is that oftentimes fruitful seasons produces forgetful hearts. Hearts that forget that the Lord is in our midst. And beyond forgetful hearts, Moses also knows that we have prideful hearts. Because when we forget the Lord, we try to be the Lord and think that everything that's going on that's good in our lives is because of us. We try to take credit for it and believe we are God. And Moses also warns about this warns us about this in verses 17 and 18, where he says, Beware, lest you say in your heart, My power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord, your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. Church, in the pride of our flesh, we may be tempted, like Israel, to say that it's because of me. I did this. I got everything for myself. I earned it. But church, let's not grow prideful because we have to remember that all good things come from God. And it applies to much more than wealth and possessions. Maybe you experience blessings financially, academically, professionally, relationally, physically, spiritually, whatever it may be. Maybe there are opportunities that you got to uh, lean into. Maybe there are new experiences or accomplishments that you attained. Whatever it may be, as we think about all the things that we have been blessed with this year, the only response is to praise God for them. It says in verse 18, you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth. And what I love about this statement is that it doesn't say it is he who gives you wealth. It says what? It is he who gives you the power to get wealth. And what that means is that even the very talents, skills, and abilities that we utilize to attain certain things find their origin in the Lord. And so as we acknowledge the sovereignty of God and, that, and when we live in the grace of God, I hope, church, that we would all recognize that in all things, we are not earners, we are receivers. Because anything that we seemingly earn by the works of our hands has ultimately passed through his first. And so we have to remember that he is the giver of every good and perfect gift. So let's praise him like he is the one who does that. Amen? So church, just to recap, we can see God's goodness in difficulty by remembering his provisions and humbling, and we can see his goodness in prosperity by remembering he is the good giver. If we zoom out, Moses' message to the Israelites was simply this. Before they went to the, the promised land, Israel, be still and know that he is God. God in the wilderness and God in the promised land. God in the highs and God in the lows. God in difficulty and God in prosperity. And so before we rush into 2024, let's take time this weekend 
even today, this is the last day of 2023, to recount how the Lord has been good to us. There are a couple ways to do that. I don't know which works best for you, but here are some suggestions. Maybe it's rereading some old journal entries that we wrote throughout the year to see what, the, what God was doing back then. Maybe that's the 40 days of prayer journal. Or maybe it's looking through your phone, scrolling through your camera roll to see what moments you captured this year that were meaningful to you, and what can we thank God for in those things, or what was he teaching us in those things? Because church, it is only when we uh, take time to be still and reflect upon God's goodness in the past that we are able to then look forward and have the correct heart posture to seek his goodness in 2024. And so at this point, I'm going to bring up Corey, and Corey's going to share what that can look like for us. Uh, So thank you. Hey. (laughs) Well, um, later on, we're going to be taking communion. And so if you're at home and you're uh, listening to this, um, my intro is not that important. So if you want to go ahead and grab some communion elements and make sure that you have those available for later, then please do so. Um, But like Kyle, uh, I am one of the pastoral interns here. Um, My name is Corey Hamada. Not to be confused with... Pastor Corey Ishida, Um, although I have been asked that question a few times, even though he's like three times older than me. Um, Although admittedly, we do have a a, a similar amount of white hair. That was a joke. Um, So currently, I serve in the youth ministry, specifically in the middle school ministry uh, under our youth director, Todd Hoshiko, who is a dear friend of mine, a mentor of mine, one of my disciplers for a really long time. Uh, But just a little bit about myself, Uh, I am the youngest of three brothers, so you can imagine how easy it was to raise us for my mom, so God bless her. But being the youngest has both its advantages and its disadvantages. One of the disadvantages, I don't know if you know this, but there's a a really heavy weight that's placed on the youngest sibling, Um, a, a really heavy burden, a really high expectation, and a lot of this is because it's really hard it's just so hard. You, you don't understand. It, it's really hard to be the most loved child. It, it's really hard to be the favorite. So there's a lot of expectation there. One of the advantages, though, is that you get to learn a lot from your older siblings. And so from both my brothers, I was able to learn what I should do and what I should not do. And based on what Kyle has shared, I want us to look at Israel as our older sibling one that we can learn what we should do and what we should not do. Earlier, I mentioned that I serve in the middle school ministry. Well, before that, I was serving in our high school ministry, probably for about uh, five or six years or so, up until this past October. And in September of 2022, our college ministry went on a retreat. And this is a picture from that retreat. Um, And it was titled My Portion. That was the theme of our retreat, My Portion. Now, what is a portion? In the biblical context, a portion was uh, someone's inheritance. It was their wealth. It was their greatest treasure, their greatest prize. So that after a patriarch died, his wealth and all of his resources would be passed on to his heirs. That was their inheritance. And so the theme of this retreat was my portion. And it came primarily from uh, this verse, Psalm 73, 26. It says, my flesh and my heart may fail, But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. 
So what we learned from our older sibling Israel is that their portion was prosperity in the promised land. That's what they were pursuing, that's what they were hoping for, that's what they were desiring. In contrast, what this psalmist declares is that his portion is God. That God was his inheritance, God was his greatest treasure, God was his greatest prize. And what I wanna present to us today then is for us to ask ourselves, what is our portion? What is our greatest prize? What is our greatest treasure? What is the thing that, that we are hoping to prosper in and desire for in 2024? Maybe that's money. Maybe that's power and influence. Maybe that's relationships, career, or academic success. The list could go on and on. But for Israel, it was all about prosperity. Why? Because they thought it was good to prosper. But what we'll see in Psalm 73 is that there's a better way. That goodness is not prosperity, goodness is nearness. Goodness is not prosperity, goodness is nearness. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and, and open those up to Psalm 73. If memory serves me right, it should be right around Psalm 72 and Psalm 74. This is what it says. Starting in verse 23, Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? There is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My heart and my flesh may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. Now, we don't have time to go through this entire psalm, but earlier in the psalm, uh, the psalmist, his name is Asaph, and what he's doing in the psalm, he's actually really upset and he's really angry with God. Because for Asaph, he's essentially like a worship leader in Israel. He's like a worship pastor. And so for Asaph, he is following all the right rules, all the right regulations, all the right laws, and yet Asaph is still suffering. In contrast to that, he is looking at the prosperity of the wicked, those who have no regard for God, no regard for his rules, his laws, his regulations, and all of that, and yet they are the ones prospering. And so he's really confused here because he says in his uh, psalm here, I know that God is good, but he's really confused because he's not seeing goodness in the way that he expects to see goodness. Why? Because he has this misunderstanding of what goodness is. He thinks goodness is prosperity. But goodness is not prosperity. Goodness is nearness. So the psalm challenges us then. As we look forward to 2024, what is going to be our portion? What is going to be our portion? And this actually reminds me of a different question that gets asked usually around this time of year. We're coming up to New Year's Eve, or actually, no, we are on New Year's Eve, but we're coming up to the new year, and so usually people come up to you, and they ask you, what are your New Year's resolutions? Absolutely. Anytime I think of a New Year's resolution, I think of my wife. Um, this is actually a photo from our wedding. We got married earlier this year on April 29th, 2023, which I'm very um, joyful about. But I remember the first year that my wife decided that she was going to make a New Year's resolution. 
This is when we were still in high school. We were uh, dating at the time, of course, and, um, or, sorry, not when we were in high school. We had just gotten out of high school and into college. And I got permission from her to share this story uh, with you, which I, I'm really thankful for her for, um, because this was a really hard time in our relationship. Um, her, her New Year's resolution, it really challenged us. She was making these huge changes in her lifestyle, and I, I really just could not get myself to be on the same page as her. It was really hard to be supportive of it, and it felt like she was putting, through this resolution, an absolute divide in our relationship. She decided to become pescatarian and to stop eating red meat entirely. And so for the next two years, I did not get to have Korean barbecue one time. It was absolutely painful. And she ended up enjoying this New Year's resolution so much that she kept with it for the next six or seven years or so, to the point that she said she was going to keep on doing it until we got married. And then after we got married, she was going to stop it so that we only had to make one meal. Praise God for that. So one of the reasons why I look so happy in that photo is because <laughs> I'm no longer dating a pescatarian. By that time, I was marrying an omnivore. So <laughs> praise God, there's always hope. So New Year's resolutions. Perhaps you have something that comes to mind. One of the most common ones, we want to hit the gym, right? We want to work out, gain some muscle. Maybe we have goals with our finances, with spiritual development, personal development. Maybe you have really big plans for your family this year. That's awesome. Now, I don't know what your resolutions are, but I do know one thing. That what our resolutions do is that our resolutions reveal our values. They show us areas that we want to prosper. And perhaps on a deeper level, they show us some of the deeper longings of our heart. So my encouragement and my challenge to you, church, is, is not to get lost in the pursuit of your resolutions, but this year would you choose instead to pursue relationship over resolutions? To pursue relationship over resolutions. Let's learn from our older sibling, Israel, because for them, it's not that the promised land was bad. Quite the opposite. The promised land was good. Their problem was that they were pursuing a good thing over God. Similarly, our resolutions are not bad. So we shouldn't disregard those. We shouldn't ignore those. We don't want to invalidate those. But can I warn you from pursuing a good thing when there's a better thing available to you? So if this is the idea, pursuing relationship over resolution, how do we practically prioritize relationship over resolution? The first thing that we do is we name our resolutions. And we just be honest with ourselves here. Maybe you already have something that comes to mind. It's pretty clear in your head already. This is the area that I want to grow in in this year. That's great. Maybe you don't have anything for this year. You're like, I actually don't have any New Year's resolutions. That's totally fine. But if that's you, then I would encourage you then to, to still come to God in prayer and say, God, I, even though I have no resolutions, I still understand that there's deeper things in my heart that I'd be longing for. And so, like the psalm says, that we ask the Lord to search our, our, search our heart, to try us and to know our thoughts. So first, we name our resolutions. Step two, we bring those things to God. 
And this is when we move from resolution to relationship. So what does this look like? Maybe we want to work out. We want to live better, exercise more, be a little bit healthier. That's great. By no means is that a bad goal. But we take that then and then we move it into relationship when you say, God, I recognize that this body that you've given me is a gift. And therefore, as a gift from you, I want to honor it. I want to I honor you with it. Well, now we're moving into relationship. Now we're developing intimacy with God. Maybe it's, God, I, I really want to uh, grow in my career. I, I really want to get this job and this promotion. That's a great goal. Bring that to God. And say, God, I, I really want this. I really desire this. But honestly, for me, it's just all about the money. Well, that's an intimate spot. That's a place that we're growing with God. Maybe it's, God, I, I really want to pursue this, but I'm tempted to do it in unethical ways. Well, that's intimacy. That's relationship. Maybe the thing that you desire this year is relationship, but not necessarily with God. It's, uh, God, I really want to find my spouse this year. I'm really hoping that this guy just commits this year and we get engaged. None of that is bad, but then we bring that to God. And in our most vulnerable, in the weakest parts of our hearts, we start to expose those things to him. And as we do that, that's a form of relationship with him. We're moving from resolution to relationship. So number one, we name our resolution. Number two, we bring those things to God. And then number three, we repeat number two constantly, over and over and over again. Because relationships can form in a moment, but they are deepened with repetition. Just like Kyle mentioned before, this is where we start to get tempted by efficiency over intimacy. Because praying in this way, honestly, a lot of times does not feel very productive to us. It feels inefficient towards our goals. But although it might not be as efficient as we think it should be, it is building intimacy with our God. We should be valuing intimacy over efficiency. And I want to share what this has looked like for me in, in my own life. Um, when I was in second grade, my dad was diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease. Uh, this is a picture of me and my dad. I know I was so cute back then. And you'll notice I only had, uh, I, I had two black eyebrows at the time. Uh, but you may be familiar with Alzheimer's disease. You might know what it is, and you probably know somebody that's a little bit older, um, probably 65 and up. That's the more traditional form of Alzheimer's. For my dad, though, he had a more rare form called young-onset Alzheimer's. And so he developed his symptoms when he was in his early 40s. So you can imagine what the scene was like. Maybe you're in your 40s. Maybe you have a child that is my age or a grandchild that is my age. Maybe you have a child that's in their 40s. But my mom at the time, she worked for LA Unified School District and she was in the adult education division, which meant that she was oftentimes working at night. So my role in the household was to help support my dad and to take care of him. So that looked like cooking meals, that looked like sometimes going to the grocery store and getting things for my family, that looked like making sure that my dad um, ate that night, that he would shower or brush his teeth, get ready for bed. 
It looked like when uh, I had, uh, when I'd been playing in FOR basketball, that I would have to memorize the routes to my gyms or to my games and tournaments and practices so that I could provide the right directions for him to drive us there. And as my dad's symptoms got worse, it felt like life was just getting worse. And so I remember in eighth grade, a few days after my birthday, my dad ended up having a seizure. And that morning, I woke up to a loud thud, and he, he ended up having a seizure due to complications with his medications that were supposed to help the, the um, progress of the Alzheimer's and slow it down. But from that morning, he was moved from care facility to care facility to care facility until we finally found one that seemed like a good fit. And he stayed there until he ended up passing away and the Lord took him home my sophomore year in high school. And I remember being so mad at God, being so frustrated. Like Asaph, my dad was so respectable, such a good man of God. How could you let this happen? Why would you do this to my dad? Why would you do this to my family? And very selfishly, I was asking God, why would you do this to me? And so there would be nights that I would go into my room, I would turn off the lights. Instead of going to sleep, I would just weep. And I would just bawl. I would sit on the side of my bed, and I would vent all my frustrations to God. But while I did that, I was doing one other thing. I was singing. The entire time, I would have my headphones in. And I would be listening to worship music, and I would sing along with it. Always quiet, never to wake anyone. But always desperate for the Lord. And there was one song in particular that I would sing. It was uh, this song called Lamb of God by 10th Avenue North. I don't think it's quite popular at all. Um, but the song was super simple, and I would just repeat the chorus on the bridge, and it went like this. You are holy, you are worthy. You are holy, you're the Lamb of God. Blessing and honor and glory and power to him who sits on the throne. Why is this song so important? Because as we look at the lyrics of this song, can you tell me where in this song is my goodness mentioned? Where is this song is my prosperity mentioned? Nowhere. What is the central focus of this song? God. And so as I'm listening to this song, in, in the hardest moments of my life, what was this song doing? Where was it redirecting my heart and my mind? On God. And it was in the darkest nights of my soul, in the deepest moments of desperation, that God in his grace was gifting me these words to sing. And he was teaching me how to draw near to him in some of the hardest times, to draw near to him when goodness did not feel like prosperity. He was showing me that goodness was nearness. And some of you in 2023, or maybe before that, have gone through things that are way harder than anything that I just described. Some of you in 2024, or maybe beyond that, are going to go through harder things 
than anything that I just described. The question is, though, as you go through your trials, which are inevitable, how are you going to go about them? Are you going to put confidence in the flesh? I can just push towards resolution. I resolve towards this. Or are we going to say and choose relationship by saying, God, my my flesh and my heart, they're failing. And so, Lord, I need you to be the strength of my heart. I need you to be my portion forever. And so in 2024, whether that looks like suffering or that looks like prosperity, whether your business just blows up or it totally tanks, whether in 2024 you are signing a marriage certificate or divorce papers, you're praising God for your pregnancy or you're mourning a miscarriage, my prayer for you, church, is that for all things in 2024, whether that's prosperity or suffering, you would draw near to God, that you would see goodness not as prosperity, but you would see goodness as nearness. And as a result of drawing near, I hope that we would also learn something else. That as we practice drawing near in 2024, we would see that it's actually preparing us for what we'll be doing in all of eternity. Continuously drawing near to God. Similar to the song that I just mentioned, let's look back at Psalm 73 one more time at verses 23 to 25. And this time take special note about where the psalmist has placed his attention. Nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. Afterward, you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that, is, that I desire besides you. Before Asaph, this writer, he was so caught up on the prosperity of the wicked, that's all he could look at, that's all he could see. It was taking all of his attention off of God and just looking at them. But now, where is his attention? It's fully on God, fully on eternity. And so, as we close in just a little bit, Pastor Greg is going to come up to facilitate communion. And see, communion is all about remembering. It reorients and it redirects our heart to be fully on God, fully on Christ, to look back on the cross and to see Christ crucified and to rejoice. But you know why the cross is so significant? For some of us, if, if we don't know what this whole Christianity thing, Christianity thing is about, we think it's about rules and regulations and laws. And so the only reason why the cross is significant is to satisfy a bloodthirsty God so that my sins are forgiven. But the cross is more than that. It's so that we can be forgiven of our sins so that we can have relationship with God. Because, man, he loves you, and he is crazy about you. He wants to have relationship with you. So Kyle and I, we want to encourage you to look back at 2023, good, bad, or somewhere in between, wherever you found yourself that year, and look at God's faithfulness. And for some of us, that's really easy to identify. 
For others of us, that is extremely difficult to identify. But wherever you find yourself on that spectrum, would you look not just at 2000, 2023, but 2000 years before that, to look, at cross, to look at Christ on the cross and to rejoice. Because he and he alone is our firm foundation. Amen? Amen. Amen. But we look back not just at Christ crucified. We look forward to Christ glorified. We look not just to 2024 and put our hopes there. We look far beyond that to eternity and we put our hopes there. Second Corinthians says that we are not to look at the seen but at the unseen. For the seen is temporary, it's transient, it's fading, it's decaying, but the unseen is eternal. Colossians 3 says that if you have been raised with Christ, then seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God, to set your minds on the things that are above. And so church, we, we look back at Christ crucified and we rejoice. But we look forward to Christ glorified and we rejoice. Remember that goodness is not prosperity. Goodness is nearness. Church, do not forget the Lord. Let's learn from our older brother. In fact, as we close, would you bow your heads with me? As Kyle mentioned, I want us to pay attention to the yellow light for us to slow down and, and let's take a moment to reflect on God's goodness. Let's not rush into 2024 trusting in our own strength or our own heart, but I pray that God would become the strength of our heart and our portion forever. Mm -hmm.